Hey, this is Jake, and I like books. Do you like to sit around for a while? Found yourself a little pet crocodile. Do you like to just live in the moment? Do you like the stars, the moon, and the comets? What do you like, do you like? 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 Welcome to What Do You Like? The podcast where you get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. Today on the podcast, uh, I have a very good friend of mine, someone I've known since elementary school, um, and has been a big part of my life in a lot of ways. Um, we used to go to basically every Chicago independent wrestling show together. Um, we went to them all. Um, anyone that was worth any salt or worth their salt, we went to. Um, he went on to become a very successful person, is now a lawyer living in D.C., um, while I have probably the top, well, probably top 10 most successful podcasts um, about passions and hobbies um, recorded in a basement apartment in Chicago. Uh, so we're basically on the same level. Mm-hmm. And with that, I want to welcome Jake Grubman to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Thank you. This is a treat. How are you? How are you doing today, Jake? I know uh, you are currently making dinner, and you uh, are sacrificing your time yeah. to talk with us. And I think, first of all, v- thank you very much for being on this podcast. Uh, yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's a it's a real dream to be on this podcast with you. Absolutely, and, um, and you've been podcasting for how long on your uh, your movie review podcast? Yeah, it's um, that's been going on for a little over a year, maybe like a year and a half. I do a podcast. It's not really reviews. It's more like um, just discussion. And honestly, a lot of the time, it just gets into like industry discussion the guy that i do with is um he's really deep in the weeds in like hollywood and different directors and writers and stuff and i'm like you know i'm not an especially discerning viewer of movies so i like basically everything and i just get on and i talk about like you know this movie was so good (laughs) and then he gets on and he's talking about like the cinematography and stuff yeah, I am the same way. Uh, when people start to criticize all these movies, I'm like, well, I mean, I was entertained for an hour and a half. I mean, it really did everything it needed to do. Yeah. Uh, so you definitely among uh, similar minds here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to have someone who's an experienced podcaster on this podcast. Hopefully they'll class it up a little bit. Um. Yeah, I, I should say that like four people have listened to my podcast. And actually, we did one. I used to do a basketball podcast with my brother and one of our friends. And uh, I think we had up to 10 listeners of that one. Well, I mean, so, if we if we can get those 14 <laughs> listeners to come over here, that'd be a real treat for this podcast. Um, but it's nice Cross marketing. Exactly, exactly. Um, but we're not talking about sports. We're not talking about movies today. We're talking about the original movies, and I'm talking about books and your <laughs> your love and passion for reading. This is something that I wish I shared with you. 
because there's so many books that I would, I think I'd really enjoy, but unfortunately my brain does not let me sit there and read for hours on end. Uh, every once in a while it does, but not as much as I would like. Um, but I guess we want to start this conversation is where did your, your love of books and reading start? Yeah, well, um, first I think I should kind of distinguish between, uh, like books as objects and then the activity of reading, both of which um, I like a lot. You know, I would describe them as a passion, but um, I'm someone who really likes to read, but also just likes to kind of be in bookstores and libraries and around books a lot. And uh, I think it comes from um, my parents. Actually, my parents, before I was born, had they owned a used bookstore in Wrigleyville or maybe Lakeview, I guess, um, at the intersection of Belmont and Clark. Um, you know, now there's like a target there or something. Um, but yeah, they had a bookstore there called Howard and Hyde Books. That's my parents. Um, my dad's first name is Howard and my mom's maiden name is Hyde. And uh, they had that store for like three years and then growing up, my dad was, um, he was a, he stayed at home with us, but he did work uh, part of the time that we were at school and he would go around the city to different thrift stores, buy books and then sell them either to kind of higher end used bookstores or directly to collectors. And then sometimes he would continue to acquire books even when he wasn't selling them. He always had this attitude like, he was building up inventory for something, even when it was just his personal collection. So our house was always overrun with them. And uh, he was, you know, he's just a very strange guy, I think. Like he has really eclectic taste. And um, so his collection was really unusual and he would always be reading different stuff. Um, and every book he read, every book he kept, you know, he would read a lot that he didn't like, but it seemed like he was constantly reading the best book he ever read. So that's where it kind of came from. Although I will say our taste is pretty different. Well, I just want to, to jump in here and, and really uh, give the, the endorsement that your, your father is a unique person. And I had the very distinct pleasure of joining your father and you uh, going to the flea market outside Allstate Arena, yeah, where I, where I learned a lot about the art of negotiation. Um, yeah, if you the, ever like, some people like negotiating, and that's good for them. I don't like it. I don't. How do you feel about it? I I like it as long as both parties are aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, as soon as like, you used to realize that in, in the negotiation, there is no feelings. Um, and I, I always tried to, um, when I knew that my offer is going to offend, I just didn't make the offer, but every once in a while they would like push it. Mm -hmm. I remember there's one time we were at the flea markets, someone offered or someone they're selling like, uh, it's like an explorer's hat. Like you'd see in yeah. like old timey, like jungle yeah. explorer, like a safari hat, exactly, like hard one, like uh, like Colonel yeah. Muster wear wore. Yeah, right. Um, 
And I saw it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, oh, I, how much? How much uh, for this? And he was like 30 bucks. And I was like a oh, high schooler. I didn't have any money. And I, he, and I was like, oh, OK, thanks. He's like, well, oh, th- make me up. How much are you thinking? In my mind, I was going to offer like two dollars. <laughs> So then I was like, no, 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 no. I, that, that don't worry. My, my offer would be offensive or whatever. And he really pushed me. And finally I said, $2, like, no, no, I can't sell for two. I was like, I know you can't sell for $2. That's why I was trying to walk away. Um, but most of the time you kind of, as long as you enter into negotiation in good faith, whatever happens, happens. Um, yeah. So the thing that you're talking about, like this kind of, um, I would say very human consideration for the other person. My dad doesn't really have that. So if he had seen, he was a collector of all kinds of things. And if he's, so a a good example is tin toys. Um, For the last several years, he's been collecting antique tin toys and the prices range hugely. There's no consistency. So like one person could sell something for, 20 bucks and someone else might ask 150 or something. And so he would go in just, he would decide what he wanted to pay and he would offer that. And so even if the price said 150 and he thought he wanted to pay eight, you know, he would offer eight. Um, And a lot of the time he was able to, so he was a very good negotiator in certain respects. You know, he was able to buy things he wanted for, low prices, but the people he was uh, buying from, it was, it was relatively common for them to say like, I'm going to sell you this, but never come back to my table again, (laughs) which I think he kind of appreciated. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite negotiation techniques he did was he would, um, he go up to a place and say, I'll pay $8 for this toy. And then they would say, well, it says 150. And he'd be like, well, I'll stand here while you and wait while you sell this for 150. And then when you realize you can't, you can sell it to me for eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had a whole collection of tricks. Like he also liked the one where he would put different amounts of money into each pocket. And so then if something said it was like they're going through the negotiation or something, um, and, or maybe the, the thing is priced at 50, let's say. And he's like, I only have 30. Actually, he has 30 in one pocket, but then he has all the rest of his money in his other pockets. So he could reach into the one and pull out the 30. And then the person has to decide how badly they want to get rid of it. Yeah, he had a lot of things like that. And I wish that I had picked up a little bit more because most of the stuff that I would buy there was already drunk. So I wasn't really paying a ton of money anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I was a little more discerning and had picked more, more collectible and then made a little more pricey things there that might be worth some money now. Oh, I know. Um, I have regrets about that all the time. I'm like, you know, I get this kind of feeds into the book thing actually. Um, Recently, uh, my wife, Erin, and I have been operating this little online bookstore, which we can talk about. But um, over time, my like my uh, preferences for collecting have changed. I remember 
when I was a teenager, my grandfather, who was, uh, I would say the original collector in the family, he would ask me what I was collecting at the time. So I think it kind of runs in the family and maybe just like runs in the genetics of humanity, you know, the desire to put things in order. Um, but I've had all, all kinds of different collections. And with so many of them, I like some time passes and then I just realized that I come to think that I've wasted my time and money and I should have been collecting something else. But you had some, you had some good ones, like uh, the Disney tapes, because I was some, I think you came to regret that, but I appreciated it because it was something that you could continue to develop. Like it was a closed universe, but there were a lot of different ones that you could find. And so you could, you could continue to build your collection, but without dri driving yourself insane, I think. Uh, yes, I, I agree. It was fun because, I mean, this is in high school. So, like, at that point, we were nostalgic to, like, our youth. We were about to become adults. Um, I think one of the reasons why I collected those is, like, oh, I always liked these movies. And they were, like, a dollar each one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. sometimes people would be charging three. And I'm, like, okay, I'm going to walk right past this place because I know somewhere else they're going to be charging a dollar. And that's where I'll buy mm -hmm. my tapes. But then I realized, like, what am I ever going to do with these? Um, it's not something I wanted to display. It was like the the fun was the the collecting yeah. um, was was yeah, the fine, mm. um, which and I think a lot of times there there are two types of collectors um, in 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 my uh, experience, ones that enjoy actually like the thing that they're collecting and like be able to display it um, and like feel a sense of accomplishment there. And the ones that just like the hunt. And I'm mm -hmm. definitely, I'm somewhere in between on some things. I just like the hunt on other things. I like the display because the big thing I'm collecting now are wrestling autographs. Um, kind of taken a, slowed down a little bit with the pandemic and I've been able to meet a lot of famous wrestlers. Um, but now I'm collecting dead wrestler autographs that I can buy online. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, those, I, those I will like to display and everything like that. But then other things, um, like I said, was the, the Disney tapes where I just like, I just want to collect all these, um, where would you where would you think like where would books fall in the, the collection? Are you more you don't you're not one like to display them. You're more so just like mm. the, the hunt, the finding this rare book. Yeah, well, I think I kind of have to decide. I guess I'm sort of in the middle like you. The good thing about this store that we're running now. Um, I guess I'll just talk about the store for a second. Yeah, please. Uh, Aaron and I like used bookstores a lot and we have sometimes talked about having sort of a dream of opening a used bookstore and we realized during all of this that um even if this weren't happening you could do that at a much smaller scale online as kind of a start and just see how it goes so we decided to 
because we don't have a car and we don't live near any thrift stores or like very cheap used bookstores, we started buying books that we were interested in online. And our focus is older books, say 1980s and older and almost all um, literature, although there's some nonfiction sprinkled in. So we bought about 150 books on eBay, just searching for good prices or you know lots of books. Um, but we also wanted to make sure we weren't just buying you know garbage to fill the site's inventory. We focused on certain authors or editions of books. I mean, the goal of the site, we're not going to make any money whatsoever. Um, we're pretty much just trying to, like, it's fun to look for books, like you, you were saying, the hunt is a lot of the draw of this kind of thing. And then we also want to just make these available to more people. So we're kind of tapped into this community of readers on Instagram. And uh, because of that, we're able to advertise these books at I would say pretty fair prices um, to people who maybe wouldn't be seeing them otherwise. Uh, so that's the store, you know. So I guess like inherent in that is that we're not we're not really displaying the books because they're coming in and out um, of the house. Um, but with respect to our own stuff, I think we're also more interested in buying books for ourselves that we want to read. And so in that respect, you can find, you know, a lot of newer books are obviously, you know, beautiful, they're cool, they look good on the shelf and stuff, but I don't think we think about them from that perspective. Um, but with that said, you know, we, we did want to put up a cool bookshelf, which we uh, installed a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I guess it, it's just like, to me, it seems like there are a couple of tracks to it with respect to the books. We like to find stuff that looks good and that people are gonna be interested in buying for the store. And then for ourselves, you know, we have our own brief and intense obsessions that we try to satisfy at thrift stores and stuff like that. Well, it seems like you're kinda, you kinda have the best of both worlds in, the, in your setup where you can kinda, kinda feed both beasts. Um, oh yeah, it's great. I mean, you could, it makes me feel like what I should have been doing with previous collections is the same thing, like hunting for stuff that I can provide to other people. So then I'm like, you know, um, kind of, uh, meeting that interest in, in searching for stuff, but then getting rid of it. Cause you brought up the question, what are you going to do with it all? I mean, that's a serious question. My parents are downsizing right now. And uh, that's something that they really should have been thinking about. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I think you, I think, have a plan, at least with your uh, current collection. Um, yes, in, in the in the, the long term, yes. I mean, at, at some point, I'm it's hopefully my children will have to deal with it. Um, because everything I'm collecting, a lot of it is not worth significant amounts of money because I'm not paying significant amounts of money for a lot of it. Um, yeah. it it's cool to me. Um, which again, at that point, who, 
I don't care what happens to anything. Um, but I'm actually in the process. Uh, my my mother made me come and take a bunch of stuff out of a closet in our in our basement. And I now have all of my father's baseball cards that I have oh, to figure wow. out what to do with. Um, and, it, and it's a, a little bit stressing out because I have no idea what baseball cards are worth. I have no idea. We had um, Frank Spahek on the podcast and he talked about like sports memorabilia, but he even he was like, mm. I don't really know much about the, the card game. So now I have to figure out how to offload all of these. Um, yeah. Which with that there's like this inherent knowledge you have to gain and it seems like you have kind of developed that with books how did that kind of start where you like were able to like value books and like even rare books i know you even sell books in like foreign languages how do you know what's Mm -hmm. a good deal where where did that knowledge start to to grow yeah well first i should say that uh i am a novice and a fool and so we price our books, you know, we obviously set our own prices, but a lot of stuff, it feels arbitrary and we don't know what we're doing. So I should start with that kind of um, note. But a few things I think have been helpful. Like I said, my dad, um, when I was younger, would um, acquire books. And so I kind of came to see some trends in that. He would say that... Um, you know, there's this, there's this saying, don't judge a book by its cover. But when you're buying books for the purpose of building inventory to sell it, a lot of the time you can do that. And the reason for that is that, you know, there are a few features of especially older books that indicate that it's going to be worth at least something. One thing obviously to look at is the publisher of a book. And so he could do that, I think, a little bit better because he was mostly interested in nonfiction. And in the nonfiction world, there are really distinct categories of publishers. So if you find something that's by an academic press, so like the University of Illinois, you know, a lot of universities have their own presses. Um, he would just know that that was going to be of interest to someone. Um, and then with other things, you know, he would get to know the authors, he would get to know the um subject matter that tended to be more interesting. I think kind of a a cool subset of his collection was books that related to um, American Indian tribes, because that's not something that like the general public is gonna be, or that, you know, the majority of the country is gonna be reading for fun. But those books are valuable because a lot of people are interested in, you know, there are a lot of really high quality presses putting out books um, on that subject. So anyway, those are kind of general lessons that I picked up from him. And in doing this uh, store with Aaron recently, I think it's kind of just been trial and error. You know, we follow a lot of other stores on Instagram. So we've been able to kind of feel out the market, but some things are just what we think is right. Like if we like an author, we're going to probably price his or her books a little bit higher. I mean, that's not the most educated way of doing things, but we're like, it's just the two of us doing this in our one bedroom apartment. So, you know, we get to do whatever we want. And then the second thing is that 
there are these sites that track eBay auctions. And so you can see if something has actually sold for a certain price. So like a common thing that I think happens sometimes is someone, someone will be interested in figuring out how much something is worth and they look to see what it's uh, listed for on eBay. But if there's only one of them and the price is $100, you, know, $100, you can't tell if that's the actual market for it which is why these sites that show like, you know, concluded auctions, I found so helpful. Life can be hard, especially if you are the Grim Reaper. Follow his daily struggles in the epic misadventures of Deathbag. Whether he is going to a metal concert, grocery shopping, or trying to meet the creator of his favorite comic, Death always finds a way. You can find the epic misadventures of Deathbag Another great title is distributed by Gorilla Publishing. Check them out at GorillaPublishingGroup.com. That's Gorilla Like the Radio Publishing Group.com. You know, I'm also just an obsessive collector of other things like comic books, um, all kinds of dumb things. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't call them dumb. I mean, again, you're talking to the person. Oh, well, who, I appreciate that, Jeremy. You're talking to the person who collected uh, Disney VHS tapes in the year uh, 2007. So people love that stuff. No, nah, I don't. I mean, I ended up just giving it away. That's that's the end of the story. And do I, you have, I do you have regrets to for giving that away. No, that's just some, one less thing I have to move when I move. That's fair. Um, I should follow up to see whatever she did with that. Um, the person I passed on the collection to, I think I remember who I did. It could be, could be a couple people. I'll have to, I'll have to go back and try to remember who I gave that to. Yeah, you, you should look into it. I'm curious. I wonder if they have a VCR. <laughs> Probably not. No, not many people do nowadays. No. Um, but you bring up a really good point in that. A collection is worth what someone will pay for it. So like, there's really no inherent value in a lot mm-hmm. of things. It's really just like, I mean, it's, it's like straight capitalism, basically, where whatever yeah. whatever the market will pay for it, they'll pay for it. That's like a pure mm-hmm. version without all the uh, dangerous and negative aspects of a capitalistic society. It's a, it's yeah, a pure, I mean, pure honest- market. Honestly, that is something that's kind of troubled me because I I have a lot of qualms with capitalism and that's probably putting it too lightly, but I'm also like welcoming it into my home. And I sometimes think about the, some people say there's no ethical consumption in capitalism. And I think that's really worth thinking about, but it's also very difficult to um, push back against because of this strong inclination I have to collect these things. It's definitely an internal contradiction that I think I need to think about some more. I I wouldn't say it's a contradiction because you're not, it's not like you are, your goal in this, this bookstore or other collections you have that you eventually are going to sell or whatever. At Mm. no point are you trying to make huge profits on this. Well, like ideally, meant, I would become the next Jeff Bezos. Honestly, I don't think 
and he's a happy person. So I don't think the next Jeff Bezos is the good thing to be. Um, I mean, your your whole goal, you even mentioned it, was just to make these available to people. Yeah. Um, mm. And and then really, you brought up like you have this like community of like fellow book lovers. Is that like an online community or these like people you've met in person or is it strictly like an online group of people? Yeah, it's kind of a mix. And actually, it maybe speaks to a, another concern I have in uh, book collecting and selling and stuff. So the with respect to the Instagram store that we run, that's all online. Um, we have we've met a couple of customers in DC because we have a pickup option and that's been cool. And we'll sometimes like talk to people on Instagram messenger and stuff. So I do feel like we're actually meeting people, but that's all online. Um, but with that said, we also really like this one uh, bookstore here in Adams Morgan in Washington, DC. Um, it's called Lost City Books. It read, branded probably like one or two years ago and they sell both new and used books and the owner and really everyone working there they're just lovely and they have um book clubs and so uh i've participated in their like literature and translation book club and so in that respect it feels like a real community i mean a lot of this stuff happens online but i i see the people in person sometimes so, you know, would, it could happen in person if not for the pandemic. But anyway, the, the concern that I mentioned was that I sometimes wonder how many of the, like how many people that are posting, it's called Bookstagram, which is a portmanteau that I really dislike. <laughs> I don't like the word Bookstagram. I don't like really any combination of words like that but anyway yeah. i was gonna say is there a portmanteau that you do like no i yeah. don't think so i mean maybe but if i think of one i'll let you know okay um so like on bookstagram a lot of it is taking um nice photos of books and books are themselves like i said they can be really interesting objects and um and that's cool you know i like seeing some of that stuff too but i really start to wonder are these people reading the books? I hope so. But then if you get a really nice copy of a book and it's you know from 1950 or whatever, um, are you really gonna read that copy? And if not, is that a problem? I mean, probably not. You know, everyone does what they want with their money, but we like to, you know, we like to um, foster or feed our own sense of superiority by, thinking that we're the ones who read the books and other people just take pictures of them. <laughs> That's like super hypocritical too, because we're constantly buying books that it takes us years to get around to reading. Anyway, yeah. that was a pretty uh, long way of saying that it's um, kind of both. <laughs> well, I mean, and, 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 and looking at it really, you bring up a really good point of what a book is. Um, I think if you go back to like ancient times, a book was how you shared knowledge, but it was also a piece of art because mm -hmm. it was, su it was yeah. such, such a, like, uh, 
a rare thing and a very precious thing because not many people knew how to read, not many people knew how to write. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like preserving like the the language of the of the people. Yeah, there's um, a whole the whole you know uh, art tradition of illustrated manuscripts comes from the things that you were talking about. You know the lim- the limitations. Um, not exactly in ancient times, but you know, medieval times and the Renaissance. And this is this is the difference between um, a University of Chicago and Columbia Law School education, and a public university education. When I think of ancient, I think of just anything before nineteen twenty. Everything before me. WrestleMania nine, basically. Basically. When I was a kid, that was how I measured everything. It was it changed a little bit, but like when I was 10, let's see, does this work out? Yeah, when I was 10, I, I used to think all the stuff, all the old stuff happened before the 1993 Royal Rumble. And all the <laughs> new stuff happened after that. And later it became the it became the 1995 Royal Rumble. And it was that until probably two years ago. It, you, you had in the same era, the 1995 Royal Rumble until a few years ago was all one era. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was all not just in wrestling, but in, in the life. world. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, the, I mean, in human history, if you if you think about it in human history, that is a that is a, a pretty reasonable era in wrestling. That's not a reasonable era. There's a lot of changes that happened in that time period. That's fair. Um, but ten, great finish though in the in the title in the championship match. I encourage you to rewatch that Diesel versus Bret Hart. It was a classic Bret Hart finish. Yes, and as everyone should know, Bret Hart, your favorite wrestler. Um, yeah, diesel, not so much. Diesel, second favorite. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but let's 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 go back into this idea of like books as art. Um, you mentioned how like there's a dichotomy of like, are people just taking pictures of it? Are people actually reading it? Um, and I think there is part of the collection i think is just the preservation of that whether it is even the word or the um the the art the the visual Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where do you feel your role is in that are you do you feel like you are part of the preservation of history with this um or is it more so just like uh, that, that that's just a kind of cool thing to have. Like, it, do you feel like the you know, the 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 gravity of it, or is it really just yeah. like a lighthearted thing? Mostly, I think we keep it lighthearted, but the history of it isn't lost on us. I think there are a lot of authors. I mean, the author that I think we kind of uh, treasure the most in the store because of shared interests and really Aaron's um kind of uh, commitment to his work is James Baldwin, who was, uh, you know, a commentator, essayist, novelist, poet, philosopher um, in the, I would say, the third quarter of the 20th century. Um, 
great American and certainly a leading voice in the African-American community. And uh, his books have been, you know, they're still in print. There are perfectly nice copies coming out now, but because of who he was and um, really the beauty of his art, um, the older copies of his books feel like, feel really precious to us. And a lot of people love them. And so being able to find them you know, some of it is just like kind of cheap economics. Like you can get basically every book if you have unlimited resources, but obviously no one does unless you're Jeff Bezos. Um, and we like finding them and making them available to people so that other people can have the same experience of having these really cool, um, meaningful books in their hands. And I, you know, it really is, like Aaron got this awesome Polish copy of one of his books and um, we had seen it online and stuff, but it's different having it in your hands. It feels like it really is. I, I guess you do feel some of the weight of history and especially with books that feel a little more delicate, um, that, that definitely comes to mind. But you know, we're also just like so stupid and we don't we don't actually know that much about what we're doing. We just try to have fun and um try to find stuff that we think people will like. I mean and and, and again, I you're not a you're not a historian, you're not you don't work in a museum, so no one really expects you to to really be mm -hmm. uh an expert in all this stuff. But the, the key is that I think at the very heart of it you're like this is and i think this this kind of li links back to what this entire podcast is really about you have this passion you you want other people to be able to share in this passion so you found a way to share that um mm -hmm. and 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 like you said i mean hit the actual the words of his books are being reprinted over and over again. So the access is, is there, but what's special is like these original prints, these different languages. And I mean, that goes back to like that artwork that I think is, is starting to disappear. And that mm -hmm. kind of leads into my next question is like, but with more and more people switching like eBooks and things like that, what do you think the future of, mm -hmm. of, of books look like? Is it really just going to become like a, a niche collector thing? I feel kind of, uh, well, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the, the future of the market. Um, I will say that uh, books are gonna continue to be printed as long as like, there are kind of existential questions for humanity that I could see interrupting the production of books, but until those questions really come to the fore, people are gonna to continue to print books. I mean, the economics of them have certainly changed. You can see it in the types of copies that we're able to get. Um, I'll try to keep this brief, but I think it's so interesting that with a lot of older writers, you can find really cool, uh, they're called mass market paperback copies of their work. Um, and they were sold very cheap. And the point was to get the work into the hands of, like it says, you know, mass market, the general public. Um, but the result of that was that you would have a whole bunch of different 
editions of the same book. So like if you're looking for Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin, there are dozens of editions that have come out since that book was written, I think in the late 40s or early 50s. But um, that doesn't really happen anymore. You know, obviously new books continue to get reprinted, but there are far fewer editions. Anyway, that's just kind of a signal in the change in the book market. Recently, there's been consolidation. Um, the, the news in the book world uh, last week was that one of the major publishing houses, I think Random House bought another one, Simon & Schuster. It's kind of the same in everything in our society where it's just consolidation. You know, we don't really have antitrust laws that function very effectively. I think I'm getting kind of far afield, but my, <laughs> my, my feeling is that books are always gonna be printed. And actually a lot of the stuff that I think is most interesting is, is printed by either very small publishers, which have super narrow margins anyway, and aren't really money-making ventures, or actual nonprofit uh, publishers, which I think are becoming increasingly common. So if you take out the need for profit, there's nothing to interrupt people from continuing to buy books. That's really interesting that I didn't even realize that there was like a, the movement towards a nonprofit publisher. Um, and yeah, I, I, I can't speak to that as like an expert, but I, I've just realized that uh, a lot of the books that I've been most interested in recently have been coming from nonprofit presses, which is cool. Yeah, and I think that that links more towards like the the purity of of books, especially like uh, ones that are really that are more niche. Um, it really mm -hmm. gives them the opportunity to really meet those those niches, and I think that yeah. that goes into like I think the future of like all art. I think we're very mm -hmm. much. Every, the, with the with the internet the one great thing about the internet is you can reach anyone in the world and you can find people with like similar interests i wonder if like that's kind of where like all types of art is going to kind of translate to is where you're not mm -hmm. the there's not going to be that that need to to write that one book that everyone loves now mm -hmm. you might do it that, that might just naturally happen, but there's not going to be that, that push it'll allow, it'll allow yeah. more pure art. Would you agree? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I do agree. I mean, I think that as, um, as media has become more available to more people, the it's become easier for more people to identify divisions between um, popular art, whatever it is. I mean, it, it honestly, I do think it even applies to something like wrestling, like the division between what's made for the general public and what's made for um, maybe like the, I mean, my inclination is to say like the independent audience, you know, the people who aren't attached to big companies and stuff like that, the people who have tapped into this smaller but maybe more sophisticated um, product. And in books, it happens, you can see it really clearly. Like 
none of the books that I'm reading or that I think are the most interesting are going to show up on the bestseller list. And that's okay because these companies don't intend for them to do that. Obviously, it would be great, but, you know, they're able to publish super interesting, you know, work from all over the world and make that accessible to people who want it. And I think that's the same in, in different kinds of media too. Film, independent film is becoming a lot more accessible, but there is still like the, the dividing line. And, uh, you know, in, in our shared uh, hobby, you know, watching wrestling, I think we identified that division pretty early. Probably there's some blurring of the lines in that because now it's like what what had been independent is almost becoming popular, but I think the point still stands. I think that's a really uh, an interesting thought that you brought up, like the ability for these communities to cohere around high quality, maybe less commercial versions of whatever it is they're doing. Yeah, and I, I think that's in the, in that in that world, I think it allows for a more it's almost like we can explore things at a much deeper level um, and hopefully it'll lead to kind of like a new renaissance. Now, mm -hmm. again, with the internet, there's all the negative parts of it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but we're going to focus on the positive aspects of that today. Um, yeah, this is the What Do You Like podcast, not the yes. What's Ruining Your Life podcast. Exactly. That might be, who knows? I mean, I think right now it's too on the nose during the pandemic to have that podcast, but maybe in a couple sure. of years when everything's going great, that might be a fun thing to explore. Well, on that note, I think that's a perfect time to kind of transition into you sharing. Um, how can people get in touch with your store? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You can find us on Instagram. We're at all the old poisons books. Our bookstore is called All the Old Poisons. My dad used to say that when you went to the flea market, you could find all the old poisons, like the ones that are outlawed, you know, uh, DDT and different kinds of rat poison and stuff. So we're, yeah, we're at All the Old Poisons and you can go straight to our store at alltheoldpoisons.square.site. Well, perfect. I suggest everyone check it out. You never know. You might see a book on there that you didn't know you wanted, but was there. And I'm sure follow the Instagram because like I said, books can very much be art and you might see a book on there and you might be like, I never even thought of that author or that style of book and you might fall in love with it. Um, so again, Jake, I just really want to appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast, sharing your, your passion. Hopefully it drives someone else to feel like, you know what? I have always been really interested in that. Maybe I should start looking at what the collection of that would look like. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely encourage yeah. any type of collection. Oh, uh, me too. I kind of feel like I should have gone on and said, uh, I like collections, but uh, maybe I can do that as a sequel down the road. Sounds good. It is scheduled we're gonna have you back on the podcast one day jake um thank you everyone for listening appreciate everyone listening you can get in touch with the podcast you can follow us on instagram at wdyl podcast on or at on twitter at wdyl podcast on instagram 
at what do you like podcast or go to our website what do you like podcast.com thanks again jake and everyone listening we'll see you next time